Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi there. So uh, today we're with Dr. Kirsty Pickles and Kirsty is going to be answering your vaccination uh, questions that you've sent in. So hi, Kirsty. Hello. Right. So the first one we've got here is can vaccines cause issues for a horse that suffers with allergies if they are given at the time of year your horse is suffering with their allergies? So I think what what's been asked here is can it make it worse? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's actually quite an interesting question. Um, There's no documented evidence in horses that giving vaccines exacerbate allergies in the horse. There is some work in um, human asthmatics that if you give one particular type of flu vaccination to asthmatics in severe asthmatic crisis, that they may get worse, but that's only one vaccine brand um, type, which is a, a modified live vaccine, which means that it's actually um, a weakened form of the flu virus, and that's given intranasally up the nose. So um, in the, that's not recommended for severe asthmatics in, with symptoms. So in those people, they give um, a different vaccine, the, the injection into the arm, the intramuscular injection, which actually is what most people would have um, in this country anyway. Um, 
but it it's important to remember that um, we don't have any of that time. We don't have an intranasal modified live vaccine for horses anyway. So of, of the vaccines that we have, um, they would all be safe, even if that was a phenomenon in, that was apparent in horses. So the short, that's a long way of saying no, <laughs> there's no evidence of that. Um, and I think it's also worth remembering that as asthmatics are advised to have a flu vaccination every year because if they get flu they are more likely to suffer severe symptoms the same is uh, for asthmatic horses they are more likely to have severe symptoms if they do get flu because their airway is already hyperreactive so definitely um, even if your horse has allergies worthwhile vaccinating and for other allergies like skin reactions, there's, there's no evidence in, in humans or horses. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you for that one. Um, the second question we've had sent in is, are we over-vaccinating um, and are annual boosters really necessary? Uh, okay, so I'm going to I'm going to talk about this from a, a, a flu perspective, um, which I assume is what's meant because you're talking about annual um, annual boosters, and and I think if the flu epidemic the other year taught us anything, it's that yes, they they are necessary because even horses that were vaccinated did still get ill. Now, it was they were less ill than horses that weren't vaccinated during the flu epidemic, but some vaccinated horses did still get ill. Now, they um, shed less virus than unprotected horses. But the reason that that happens is because, unfortunately, our flu vaccines aren't very good. Um, flu vaccines are very prone to what's called antigenic shift and drift. So that means that there's small changes, small mutations in their genetic code all the time. It's just a very, um, it's a great way of the virus persisting in the, in the population because they change their genetic code. Might only be one amino acid change in their protein sequence, but um, they can then survive the immune system better so they can go on and infect more people. So this is a really clever mechanism of the flu virus that it is very uh, susceptible to these small changes. So as you know, um, you know, people are offered uh, or advised to get the flu vaccine every year. And every year, human flu vaccinate vaccines are updated with the latest circulating strains. There's scientists um, looking at the genetic code of viruses that are circulating and the human vaccines are updated every year. Now, Sadly, that's not the situation with flu vaccines. And we only have three available. And the latest um, one of those three to be produced was produced 10 years ago. So, you know, our current vaccines are very old. Now, the current advice for the World um, Office for Animal Health, which used to be the OIE, is that the vaccines contain both circulating strains. So there's basically two uh, large subgroups of circulating flu virus, clade one and clade two. Now clade two is the main group that's circulating in the UK 
Um, and it varies country to country which of clade one or clade two is, is most prevalent. But in the UK, it's clade two. But the, uh, the recommendation is that both clade one and clade two um, types are included in the vaccine. Now, of the three vaccines available, only one follows that recommendation. One of the vaccines has one of the clades and the other vaccine has neither. So the vaccine from sort of 20 years ago is very out of date. One vaccine is somewhat out of date and one vaccine is following current guidelines. So that just shows how old our vaccines are. Now, you will still get a response to a suboptimal vaccine, but it won't be as good as one that is containing the same flu virus strains as are in the circulating population. Even if you vaccinate with a vaccine that contains the current strain, circulating strains, there are still all sorts of other factors that play a role in the horse's immune response. So we know that un older and younger horses um, have a suboptimal uh, immune response. They don't tend to develop the same level of response and it tends to wane quicker. So there are horses that have um, what's called an immune gap between their last vaccine and when they're next scheduled vaccine is going to happen and that is then a susceptible horse in the population which has the chance of becoming ill and there's unless you measure antibody concentrations in each individual horse you can't predict which horse that is there will be some degree of genetic variation just among the individual as to how well they respond to the to the vaccine so there will be horses in the population which have this immune gap, which makes them susceptible. So even with the best vaccines, you can still get vaccine breakdown. If we have continued antigenic um, drift, uh, changes in the protein, then you will still have susceptibility to that strain because the response won't be quite as good. And we have to remember that the the response we get to vaccination, vaccination is still not as good as that that you get with natural disease. So yes, we're helping protect the horse, but it is not a foolproof system by it, by any stretch of the imagination. And really, we need vaccine companies to, um, you know, make more up to date vaccines to help better protect our horses. Okay, so. I mean, should horse owners um, be asking their vets for the most recent vaccine? Is, is there, a, um, you know, issues of supply or cost or um, preference? There's no, issues with, there's no issues with supply or cost. They all essentially cost the same. Obviously, um, vaccine companies are a business. So they might have particular incentives that they offer practices. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of different reasons why practices might choose one particular vaccine over another. But certainly after the flu outbreak in Australia, 
um, which was 2007, I think, 2006 maybe. Um, the recommendation coming out of that was that if there was a vaccine available that protected from circulating strains, that is what should be used um, for horses that were going to be imported into Australia in the future. Now, it's worthwhile pointing out that that, uh, that was advised. That's not actually been done, but that is what was advised <laughs> from a big um, study that occurred after that outbreak. Um, so there is an argument for that, yes. But it, could, so, but it might be problematic if your practice doesn't stop that vaccine. Yes, yeah. Usually vaccines stock one particular brand. They might carry a few of a different brand because you'll always have um, certain owners and horses who've had maybe uh, a reaction to one particular brand and they want to have a different brand. Um, but by and large, practices will have one brand of vaccine and that's the one that they've decided to go with. Okay, brilliant. I think we've, we've got a, a question later on about vaccine reactions and um, I need to remember to ask you whether you, you actually brought up an interesting point there. If your horse has had a reaction to one vaccine, whether it would be better the next time to uh, to ask for a different one, whether that's but we'll, I will try and remember to, to cover that when we answer that question. Okay. Um, so next question is, are annual boosters fine in an older retired horse? Well, that's not as straightforward as you might think, because it all depends on how that horse is kept. So if that retired horse is kept on a uh, single property and it's the only horse and there's no other horses coming and going, then um, then that horse would uh, be fine to have uh, less rigorous vaccination because it's less likely to be exposed to the flu virus. If you have um, a retired horse that's on a very busy livery yard with other competition horses coming and going, then that horse is still likely to be exposed to the virus and is very likely then to get sick and more severely sick by not being protected or, or suffering an immune gap um, in that and that horse. And if there are other competition horses on that yard, you know, they they're going to be being vaccinated every six months um, and so there would be a um, you know they'll be very well protected but they may still remember flu can be transmitted on uh, you know on objects as well if a, a horse with flu is in the environment and it dribbles snot all over uh, an owner or tack or what have you they can then bring that back to a yard and I mean in, in terms of distance uh, what is let, let's say your horse is 100 meters away from another stable and uh, there's flu in that stable as I understand it flu is highly contagious and there's the possibility is there of infection even though there's no direct contact yeah because when so they have a very explosive cough with with mm -hmm. flu and when they cough, 
and we all know a lot more about this now in, after the last 12 months, but when we cough, all those um, tiny little aerosolized viruses um, travel over a long distance. Um, now, 100 meters is, is, is taken as an okay distance, but it needs to be 100 meters. So if you have infected and non-infected horses on a property, then according to strict biosecurity rules, those infected horses should be 100 metres away from any um, non-infected horses and should have separate personnel, separate equipment, um, you know, used on those horses. So it, it is a, a real problem once you have it on a property. And this is what we saw during the flu outbreak a couple of years ago. Once one horse got it on a property, it was very hard to stop other horses getting it on the property. Okay, brilliant. So the with the older retired horse, it's, and again, we know a lot of older retired horses probably have some degree of, uh, of equine asthma. Um, they may also not, you know, may also have other health issues. Um, so you would really, if, if they are with other horses, then probably it's, it's, advisable for the owner to have them vaccinated if they're on their own and don't come into contact with any other horses and i guess also it means if the owner doesn't come into contact with any yeah because as you right. say that there may be no other horses there but the if the other go, owner goes to a yard where there is a horse that's infected with flu and comes back um so that that's a question how what what if you go to a yard um will there be if if there was a flu outbreak um will horses be shedding virus before they have clinical signs so is it possible in the same way as we know now with with covid that people can be shedding virus before um they yeah. show really any clinical signs which is what absolutely absolutely the same so the the first thing the first clinical sign that we see is that they spike a temperature so if you are in a situation where you're monitoring horses for disease, then you want to be taking temperatures twice a day. That's the first sign that we will see. But just like people, they will excrete virus before they even do that. So um, th this is the problem. It is effectively very, very hard to stop once it starts. And, I th you know, I, I mean, in, in well, 20, 20 years or so ago, I was involved in some flu studies at the Animal Health Trust. Uh, with Colin Roberts, where Colin was looking at the respiratory impact of flu. And one of the things we saw was that often it was possible, even though you knew the horses had been, when they had been infected, it was possible to miss that initial temperature spike. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, and now what's interesting is potentially there are now these devices that can monitor horses' temperature 24 hours a day. Uh, so I guess you you would have a chance of picking them up, but that's not something I don't think most owners are going to. No, be using. no. Um, but so and you have to remember also that our we have lots of horses that are vaccinated, so we're going to be seeing reduced clinical disease in these horses as well. It's not like when the flu outbreak happened in Australia and they'd never had flu in Australia until that time point. So they didn't vaccinate and they had a completely naive population of horses. So they all got very sick. When we're seeing it in our population of horses, if you um, have a, 
um, you know, a good proportion of, of vaccinated horses, then you're going to see much reduced clinical signs. So you're more likely to miss it, which actually makes it harder. But, um, you know, what you saw in Australia was because they were all susceptible, it just spread like literally like wildfire. You know, you could see it moving, um, you know. Again, it, par it parallels with COVID. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. Our next question is about vaccine reactions. And this is an interesting area because I think there is, you know, if you look on horse forums and Facebook groups, there is, I think, the perception amongst horse owners that these are incredibly common. Mm -hmm. um, I was involved in a study, again, at the AHT, where we tried to induce, well, <laughs> not tried to induce, but we, we, we vaccinated a very large number of horses to try and see if we could study vaccine reactions um, for one of the vaccine companies. And we universally failed, I think, to achieve a single vaccine reaction in sort of 200 vaccinated ponies. So the question here is, um, two of my horses got large swellings after their vaccine. Why did this happen? And there's another one, uh, another comment here. My horse went very stiff in the neck following vaccinations. Um, and the final comment is we're pretty sure it was the flu and tetanus booster that caused a mild case of laminitis in our horse this year. It came about three days after the booster. So those are kind of those are three separate um, yeah. sort of very similar types of, of sort of question. Yeah. Um, but all, all around, essentially, you know, why do vaccine reactions happen? Um, and, you know, can they cause other problems as well? Yeah. So I'll actually answer the last one first, because that's the quickest to answer. <laughs> so there's no known association between laminitis and vaccination. Um, so that was most likely coincidence. It might be that other management procedures happened around the same time or changed but, but certainly um, almost um, definitely not associated with the vaccination. You can never say never, but I've never known that happen. Um, swellings, yes, they are quite common. Um, now, anyone who's been vaccinated knows that you get um, a bit of a sore um, muscle afterwards. The tighter... The, um, your muscle is when it's injected the more likely you are to get a, um, a a sore muscle afterwards so you know the the nurse who or the pharmacist or whoever who's vaccinating you you know will tell you relax just let your arm hang loosely and you try and do that but you know that's quite hard when you know someone's coming towards you with a needle <laughs> obviously um we can't do that with our horses anyway um some horses are more anxious about being vaccinated than others. So the ones that are messing around, moving around, are uptight, they're more likely to get sore muscle afterwards. If a horse walks around with a needle in its neck, that's going to be causing some damage to that muscle. So that's the kind of horse that's going to end up with a sore neck. So encouraging your horse to be calm about vaccination, um, you being calm, we all know how perceptive horses are about picking up owner emotions, 
So if you can be very calm and teach your horse to, um, to be good for vaccinations, to stand still, then that actually really helps. Um, and they will be less sore because of it. So you can get non-painful swellings after vaccination. That's one thing, or you can get painful swellings. Obviously the painful swellings are the ones that are a problem. Non-painful swellings um, are most likely to occur in the chest if they're injected into the pectoral muscles between the, the front legs. Um, and that's just because it's a dependent area. So there's mm -hmm. a little bit of inflammation. You get a small collection of, of tissue fluid. Um, it's really of cosmetic, uh, you know, importance only. Generally, they're not sore there. Where they sometimes can get very sore is their neck. Now, most vets do inject into the neck. So it is where we see most vaccine reactions. They, the problem with a vaccine reaction in the neck is that if they're very stiff in their neck, they can sometimes not want to raise and lower their head. So it'll put them off eating. Um, so that's more problematic. And that's why some vets prefer to, to vaccinate in the chest. Um, you might be more likely to get a, a small swelling, but that tends to be non-painful. It's, it's usually not the flu part of the vaccine that the horse is getting that reaction over. It's the adjuvant, which is a substance added to a vaccine to make to enhance the immune response. Um, and they're the things that actually cause um, reactions if it is a true reaction. But like I said, sometimes the soreness can just be from the muscle being tense or the horse you know, dancing around in a circle with a, a needle in it, in its neck because you're chasing after it, trying to vaccinate it. So um, th there's different things going on there. You can also, the, another thing you can do, the worst possible scenario is an abscess developing. Um, and, and that is more serious. The horse will feel sick, you know, will have a fever, definitely won't uh, want to move its neck. And you'll need to drain that abscess. Now, it really helps if you are, um, you know, presenting a horse which is clean and dry. I have been presented with muddy, wet ponies straight from a field. Now, clearly, that's, you know, if you're in a field, you have limited availability of being able to, um, to clean that horse up. If you inject through wet mud, obviously, the likelihood of an infection is much higher than a nice clean bit of skin. So there's no point putting a swab of alcohol on a wet muddy pony. All you're going to do is create a soup of, um, of bacteria which be could be taken into the skin. So, you know, try and uh, try and clean your, your horse up. You wouldn't dream of presenting yourself straight after a <laughs> rugby match covered in mud for your flu vaccination. So, you know, think in the same way for your, for your pony or horse. Okay, so that's that's really good. So there are there's clearly steps there that horse owners can take to reduce the risk of uh, of, of vaccine reactions uh, in terms of abscess infection. What? Yeah, and if the and if there's somebody out there who's thinking, well, it's all very well you telling me to get my horse used to being vaccinated, but it's really needle shy. What can I do? Well, there there are quite a lot of things that you can do to improve that situation um, and uh, you need to use horse learning and behavior to aid you in that and there's um, some really good information out there about how you go about doing that 
And you can lay a lot of groundwork by holding a pen um, up against the neck first, and then you can get your vet to work with you. Um, you can get hold of a pair of overalls if your vet wears overalls. There's all sorts of things you can do to habituate your horse to that, um, to that situation um, before you present the actual vet with, with an injection. You want to be working well ahead of that, um, taking the smallest step possible, um, which is you probably holding a pen against the neck and getting the horse used to that rewarding the horse for not moving away from that okay. stimulus and in terms of this is always a difficult one when, when should you call your vet if you're you know after a vaccination if you're concerned that you know there may may be a reaction how do they yeah. as an owner decide when is the the time because obviously i know vet's um, advice usually is we'd rather hear sooner than, than later um, yeah abs absolutely and there's no there's never any harm in a phone call um if does you send, does sending a photo help <laughs> usually not to be honest because um unless it was a big swelling generally you probably wouldn't see enough from the photo and actually it's not it's not just about i would be more interested in how the horse was in itself rather than the size of the swelling you could have a big fluid swelling which was non-painful and the horse would be absolutely fine you could have a small painful um swelling which was an abscess developing and the horse being um you know off its feed and having a, a fever so i think if you're going to if you're worried about your horse having a reaction a really useful thing that you can do is take its temperature um, I'd say if the horse has a temperature, then we um, we may not need to see it, but we would certainly probably be advising that the horse have, have some non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like Butte to, you know, just if you were feeling rough or really um, sore after um, a, a vaccine, you're, you might take uh, an ibuprofen or a, a paracetamol. And it's the same for horses. And if we can make them feel a bit happier, um, then they'll often start eating again. And if they've got a fever, they will be feeling rubbish. So if we can bring that fever down, you know, they, they can feel a lot better. And certainly, you know, a, a sachet of butte and some of these horses can feel a lot better. So it's not necessarily an abscess developing. It might just be a bit of sore muscle and, um, and you know, the horse will feel better from, from some butte. But you are far better phoning and getting that advice rather than just, you know, sort of, treating willy-nilly you, you're far better taking advice on it brilliant okay um so our next question is why are there different recommended times between first and second vaccinations for flu from the jockey club and fei compared to what vets generally do in practice yeah that that's for me that's a really really good question and um I would like to be able to give you a specific answer to that, um, but I'll answer it to the best of my ability. So vets vaccinate according to the vaccine company data sheets. So the little product insert that comes with the vaccine tells you when you should give that vaccine and how far apart the doses should be. Now, the, the vaccines that we have, we need to give two doses a certain length apart and then 
we now give this third vaccine and then we go to annual boosters. So, or if you're competing six monthly boosters. So, um, unfortunate, and, and that is those recommendations on the data sheet are driven by the research studies that the vaccine manufacturers have done to prove that you get an antibody response. Um, so they are research driven time intervals and that is what vets use. So they would be generally four to six weeks apart for the first two and then um, the third one at, at six months. And that's what's been shown in the studies to work. The FEI and the, and the Jockey Club have these somewhat random time intervals, um, which is three to six weeks, uh, 21 to 42 days between the, the first and the second. And then, um, you know, a much five to seven months for, for the third one. And I don't know where those time intervals have come from. They're certainly not from studies showing that, that those time intervals are efficacious. So as vets and, and the vaccine manufacturers will always encourage you to, to use those, um, want those intervals on the product insert, which are four to six weeks and six months. Anything out with that is actually going against vaccine manufacturer guidelines. So you want to be clearly using the intervals which are... Um, which are recommended from studies. It may be that going out with those intervals is fine, but we, the honest answer is we don't know. Okay, brilliant. Um, and our next question sort of relates to this as, as well in a way. It says, does it matter if you switch brands of vaccine between the first and second or second and third doses? Difficult to say definitively, but it is not recommended to switch course to switch vaccines. So if you sometimes people shop around for, you know, between practices on um, who's doing free zone visits this day or that day. So you might have it might be more convenient for you to do it this day, um, this week, that day, another week. So we do sometimes see clients doing that. And as we said before, practices use different vaccine brands. So you might have it that, uh, or of course, horses move, um, you know, yards, uh, there might be different yard vets, horses change ownership even, you know, um, between first and second vaccinations. Certainly seen that happen. And, um, you know, and then a different vets involved. And so we would always recommend, if possible, that the same brand is used because, then you are presenting the body with the same proteins. So you will get, so that it, what happens is you give a protein, a flu protein essentially to the horse in the first injection. Now the horse will then mount a, a response to that, but that's quite a weak short lived response, which is why we give the second dose because that massively boosts it, giving a, a bigger and longer lasting protection. Now, if you change the protein that you're presenting between one and two, there will be some overlap because we, you know, the on a big scale, 
um, where they're using the same protein, but they, they use different vaccine technologies and different bits of the protein. So there will be a difference in the, in the immune response. So if you, you basically want the biggest response to that second vaccination to get the best protection, and you're not going to get that if you switch brands. So ideally, at least for that first um, primary course, which is three injections, you want to be following the same brand if possible. Okay, and we that, didn't that cover makes a lot of sense. We didn't cover, I've just remembered, about um, different brands in the vaccine reactions. So um, when, when you know you were going to ask about if you've had a reaction to one specific brand, would you then recommend changing brand? Um, so we do recommend that. If if we think the horse has had a true reaction to the vaccine as opposed to if the horse was messing around during the vaccine and we think it was just a bit of a, a sore muscle if the horse has had a, a bad reaction then we would often try um, a different vaccine the next year that is quite owner driven although we would have on the case records you know horse had a reaction and we would report that to the vaccine company um, then you know, we don't check back a year on every horse that we're going to vaccinate to see if it had a vaccine reaction, because, of course, 99 times out of 100, that will be no. So we are reliant on the owner to say, look, my horse had a vaccine reaction last year. Should we um, should we choose a different one? And, um, you know, and if you do that, then that will be taken into consideration. Do do that. If you're going to do that, though, do it when you book the call. Don't do it when the vet turns up on the yard because the vet is very likely to only have one particular brand with them which is the main brand in the practice um, and sometimes you they might have to order in a, a vaccine you know sometimes you have horses that have reacted to two vaccines but is okay on the third it, uh, but you might have to order that vaccine in specifically so do make sure that you give the vets a couple of weeks notice if you think your horse is going to require something that is not their normal vaccine brand. Okay. And of, of course, for many horse owners might not appreciate that for a vaccine to be registered and approved, um, it needs to go through quite a lot of trials where a lot of data is collected. And of course, the safety and efficacy of a vaccine that is a is approved for use would only be based on a regimen where that vaccine has been given three times so when it comes to mixing and matching within a, a vaccination period um, as you're discussing here we don't really know if it's safer or as effective if you no. keep swapping between the different brands no absolutely the the only thing we know is from um, trials, research trials, and also the flu outbreak a few years ago, is that if you have um, vaccinated with one particular vaccine and a different strain presents, there is some protection, but it's not 100%. And so, you know, you, I'm not saying the horse will be completely naive, it will have some protection, but it won't be as good as a horse that's had the same brand all the way through. Okay, brilliant. 
Um, right. Our next question is actually uh, switching. This is about tetanus. Um, and the question is, tetanus is required every two years. Does there come a point when horses build an immunity? Uh, in humans, a booster is recommended every 10 years after the initial doses administered in childhood. Yes, and the, and the funny thing um, about tetanus is that there's a lot of interspecies variation with susceptibility. So cattle are very immune to it, have a lot of just natural sort of resistance to infection. Um, whereas horses are very, very susceptible to it. Typical horses, very susceptible, who would guess? And so, um, so we worry about tetanus a lot in horses and the disease is so severe and the treatment is so difficult that protection is really the only way to go about it. Unfortunately, when a horse has tetanus, the toxin, the poison that the bacteria produce binds irreversibly to the neuromuscular junction. So no amount of antitoxin will get rid of that toxin bound to the, um, to the, to the nerve. So it, you know, it's very difficult to treat. And if the horse has been exposed to a lot of toxin, toxin then it will be fatal and it's very rare for a horse to survive tetanus it's a hideous hideous disease um you know the horse would die in excruciating pain and so we would usually euthanize it before way before it got got to that stage but it's such a hideous disease that we recommend vaccination now again unfortunately our recommendations have to be driven by what is known from research trials and the, man, the vaccine manufacturers are the ones doing those trials and we only know that they are safe for two years. They have not been tested for three years, for five years. So it's very difficult. You know, you would be a brave person saying, okay, well, your horse is 15. It's probably got, you know, good immunity. I'm going to wait five years now, you know, um, it just wouldn't be safe to do that. Um, there has been a study looking at horses whose vaccination has lapsed and if they still have um, antibodies to tetanus. And they and there was some evidence that, that some horses have still have antibodies several years after, you know, five years after. But that's a variable thing. It, you know, not all horses will do that. So at the moment, there can't be any recommendations given from that study. But the recommendation was, their conclusion was, vaccine manufacturers should test how long, you know, a longer period to see when it, you know, what is an appropriate uh, interval. Because it probably is longer than two years, but we just don't know. And if a horse isn't protected with tetanus, as soon as you notice an injury, you must call your vet because that's the way that the bacteria get into, uh, into the animal by, through a wound. So it could only be a tiny little pinprick cut, but that would still allow um, the bacteria to get in. And actually a puncture wound is the most likely, or, or the worst type of wound because you know the bacteria go in and then it seals over. And Clostridium, 
which causes tetanus, Clostridium tetani, that's an anaerobic bacteria. So it doesn't, it wants to be in an environment with no exposure to air. And of course, a puncture wound is that, it seals over again. Um, so if you see that and your horse isn't protected, then you need to call your vet immediately so that they, the horse can have short-term cover with tetanus antitoxin. But it, that is way more expensive. A one-off shot of tetanus antitoxin is way more expensive than actually the tetanus vaccination. So it's not a, a cost-saving procedure, really, because every horse is going to get a cut at some point, And it's you know, probably triple the cost of the tetanus vaccine. Um, and also it's very short protection. It's only three weeks. So after that, your horse will be completely susceptible again. So um, definitely, definitely worthwhile vaccinating for tetanus. Every single horse should be vaccinated for tetanus. And that should continue. And, and absolutely no evidence that two yearly vaccination is, is in any way harmful. There's no, no. adverse. Okay. No. Brilliant. And... Can I just ask one question at the end? Uh, what happened to the Strangles vaccine? <laughs> you tell me. I don't know. So that was around in 2013, maybe, I think. And it was withdrawn. So that was uh, a vaccine that was injected into the gum. And it showed good uh, protection. The problem was that was a modified live um, vaccine and some horses developed strangles from it. And I may be misremembering that. So don't take that as a definite fact. But there, there was also a problem with storage of it um, because it was modified live. I know there was a, uh, a problem with how long it stayed active after manufacturer. It, it had a very, very short shelf life, which became problematic. So it was withdrawn and they were going to work on that. And it was going to be relaunched. And then that product date um, relaunch got delayed and then that was the last I heard of it. Right. And, and it, it's never come back. So I'm guessing they never managed to fix that problem. I know that the problem that they were trying to fix was this shelf life. Um, and I can only assume that they never managed to, to fix that or run into other problems because it's never come back again. And do we still, you know, really need a strangles vaccine? Is, is strangles just as prevalent now? Or have we seen a... Uh, my, my impression is I don't hear as much about it. Um, but then, of course, it's it's a bit like flu and tetanus. You get outbreaks of, of Yeah, and, and, and also people don't like admitting they, uh, you know, they have strangles on the yard. Um, but, yes, it is still circulating. It's still as much in circulation as it ever was. Uh, it, again, it is excellent at, at shedding, it's excellent at persisting in the environment. And again, you get these horses that are persistently chronically infected and you cannot pick them up um, easy, you know, externally from just looking at them. Um, the BHS have done a lot in recent years um, about improving um, yard protocols with biosecurity and um, advising horses be tested before they move on to yards. So we, we certainly do see more of that. 
So compared to 20 years ago, then yes, we probably do see less of it. But again, there's also different strains of that bacteria and, and it mutates. And that, of course, is, is what keeps it going. And the fact that it can stay hidden, you know, horses moving around, it can transfer easily on equipment and people. So it, it is still a big problem and a, a vaccine would, would be useful, but it's a very difficult um, a difficult bacteria to make a vaccine against. We have more success with vaccines for viruses than, than bacteria. Lovely. Okay, thanks very much. You've covered so much there. Um, and I'm sure probably once people have, uh, have heard this, um, maybe we'll get some more questions as well. So thank you very much. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.